this morning we're starting a new chapter and uh, very appropriate uh, how to get along with the government <laughs> if ever was a time in our country we needed to uh, be refreshed in scripture over this it's uh, now chapter 13 a difficult one very timely but in this chapter Paul talks about the relationship between church and state and the relations between the individual Christian and various forms of government. <clears throat> as one man put it, it discusses such ta topics as the Christian and civil disobedience, the Christian and revolution, and other important aspects of the Christian's life as a citizen. He's basically explaining what Jesus meant when he said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. It's been a chapter uh, much under misunderstood and misinterpreted, sometimes purposely, and even by those uh, that claim to rightly divide the scripture. I've had personal experience with a group, not a part of the group, that uh, called themselves constitutionalists, and uh, they believe that there's, uh, we should follow the Constitution the way they interpreted it, and therefore laws of the land, many of them like paying taxes and different things that we didn't have to follow, driver's license, even marriage license. They went to all kinds of extremes, they, even to the extreme that you have to rightly divide the Constitution. I won't give you the name, though it's an interesting one. Uh, to show you how unbiblical that they got, and this one was easy to prove, is one man raised commercial strawberries, and uh, his land bordered the riv a river, and he would irrigate his strawberries out of the river without a permit, and uh, got caught, and I think he ended up being put in jail for it. Well, it's real easy to see in that sense the permission to get water out of a river is uh, real easy to see because if everybody took did the same thing, wouldn't be long, there wouldn't be a river. Downstream, there wouldn't be a river because people take all the water. They wouldn't have water for navigation, fishing, or uh, other things as well. So it was completely self-centered, but he was doing it saying that uh, he had the right because of our Constitution. One really nice family I knew got sucked into this and lost their farm over this, and several, including a quote-unquote grace pastor, uh, went to prison over it. The stand that they took, these people took on our chapter was the governing authorities were those in the church, the leading elders in the church. The irony, although, <laughs> is the majority of these people, especially the leader, what, wouldn't submit to anybody over anything. <laughs> they would just take a leader in the church, anything that they disagreed with, well, he's heretic and wouldn't uh, listen to him anyway. So that's where it goes when we uh, don't really take the scripture for what it says, we get into all kinds of things that uh, are just not right. 
There had been those who under Roman rule had attempted to defy Rome and are cited by Gamaliel when the Jews met to try the apostles for preaching Jesus Christ in early Acts. Acts chapter 5, we see in verse 35, And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. So they know there was a sensitivity here, and so they thought to what? They thought to trap Jesus Christ and entrap him, and uh, we see this in order to get rid of him. And we read this starting in Matthew 22 and verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. So they did know some things, at least they said they did. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the persons of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness, as always, and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So, Paul's picking up on this now in the age of grace, and he's discussing this in chapter 13. We're going to cover the first three verses. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, so there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So the first thing we need to say is that that God is Lord of the state. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from no authority except from God. There were rabbis uh, in Israel that had the saying, wherever any king's money is spent, there that king is Lord. All right. So Jesus, in his answer, was reminding the Jews that they were subject to Roman rule for their refusal to serve God as Lord. All right, the Lord says, I let you be in this place with these rulers because if you weren't letting me rule, you were following men, not me. And so you're in this predicament. 
far more important was the assertion of the sovereignty of God in every area of life. For there is no authority except from God. How we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Matthew 20, 21, 22, 21, again, Render therefore to Caesars the things that are Caesars and to God the things that are God's. It has often been twisted and distorted to mean what it does not. Leaders have led people to believe that God is not in charge in some areas of their life. This has been uh, blatant in the past, and it's where we have got that mindset of there is the secular and the sacred. There is that of which you've got to say it this way, not of God, <laughs> and then there's that of God. And that's where we get so much separation of the church on Sunday and where we live the rest of the week. There's a separation. I think I mentioned before of a man one time told his, uh, a, a man that did some work for him. He, was, he had a big business in Wausau. And uh, this man had done some work for him and, and he failed to pay him. And his wife asked him, and says, why, you're a Christian. Why do you do business like this? And he says, my Christianity has absolutely nothing to do with my business. There's a separation there. And God didn't put it there. <clears throat> so leaders have led people to believe that God is not in charge in some areas of their life. Uh, we strongly believe in the separation of church and state. But we will not endorse the separation of God and the state. We won't do that. God's involved in every area of our lives, and including the authority that we have over us at any given time. Our passage clearly reveals that God is Lord of the state as much as he is Lord of the church, but his sovereignty over the state is not exercised through religious leaders. Uh, this has always been that way. He had it in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel. Uh, there were rulers, and then there were religious leaders. Only in Jesus Christ are they one, and that will be in the kingdom. Zechariah 6.13 says, Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and ro rule on his throne so he shall be a priest on his throne. He'll be both. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And we've been around a while. We're always glad that it isn't re religious leaders in charge. And uh, we know there are plenty of countries in the world where religious leaders are in charge. And... Uh, some of those are out to get us. Authority comes from God alone. This is so important. Psalm 62, 11. God has spoken once. Twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. From that one source, all power flows. Again, something that we need to be reminded of from time to time. Every power... The power for me to get out of bed this morning and get here and preach to you, it all came from God. It all came from God. Now, I had to decide to do that, but the power still came from him. For me to talk right now, come from him. For you to breathe, came from him. 
Very important. There's a rest to that. There's a rest to that. God's involvement in every area of life. How much more this is true of human affairs where God is working out his great plan. He had one for Israel. He has one for the church. Jeremiah 24, verses 4 through 7. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah. Now, look at this next phrase. Whom I have sent out of this place for their own good. Now, they may not have thought it at the time, but God has a bigger plan. He knows, for we often don't. Into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them how for good. That's all he can do. That's our God. And I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. And I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord and my people. And I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. God has a plan, and it's a good one. We have trouble with the fact that good rulers as well as evil rulers derive their power from God. But our scripture is very clear in this. One commentator writes, Let us sum it up. All power derives from God, even the vast power wielded by Satan. And that's one of the reasons for the book of Job, <laughs> to show... Uh, uh, that Satan can do nothing without God's permission. There's no power, there's no authority apart from God. Acts of an alien power are by God's permission. For reasons impossible for us to understand or even imagine, but which will be made clear in the future. All right? It's interesting. You ever think about that? One day we'll be able to sit around with the Lord. Lord, why did you do this? You know, what was this for? And he'll tell us. Now, in something we can see, we're going to look at that. Now, however, we live in a world that is filled with the tensions of rebellion. And it's rebellion against God. What's going on? When you see the evil, stop and look and think through it. It's rebellion against God. It's not a rebellion against you or whatever. It's rebellion against God. And the truth that he is and the truth of his word. For his purposes, the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That God appoints all authorities, even evil ones, is cause for doubts. But we're not God and we can't see the big picture. We don't know what he has planned. We, we, we know that he works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's where we're to rest. We don't know why always. Sometimes we do, but we don't always. Why is God doing things the way we But we do know that he's working it out for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What rest there is in that. So we take a look in the past. We can see what God has done in the past to accomplish his, his purposes. God appointed both good and evil rulers for his purposes with God's chosen people. 
He allowed his people to be in Egypt under a good pharaoh, a bad pharaoh at a time when they knew not Joseph. Time passed, and then a bad, evil pharaoh come in for God's purpose. <laughs> and this we can see because in Scripture, God's plan for Israel was not to spend eternity in Egypt. It was to spend their lives in the promised land and not to be enslaved in Egypt. And by an evil pharaoh, he made it very clear to the nation of Israel, this isn't where they want to live. <laughs> we don't want to be here anymore where we're enslaved and working from daylight to dark and still not getting done what the ruler wants. He, and then through the plagues and things, through this evil ruler, again, uh, for the most part, though they had their days of whining and complaining, but for the most part, they didn't want to go back to Egypt, and uh, uh, God really burnt that bridge uh, in a good shape. So see, the, the, the uh, Israel, they didn't know. They didn't know what, they, they just knew they were going through a really bad time. They had a really evil ruler. Um, but eventually God showed them as he took them out of Egypt and into the promised land. Their Messiah and the Savior of the world would be born in the promised land. So all through Israel and world history, we see evil men ruling. The European rulers after World War I, which we, for the most part, would have call, called good rulers, sought revenge rather than justice towards Germany. So they did what? By forcing and punishing the whole nation, all the citizens, which a lot of them would have been like us that wouldn't, didn't want this war, didn't want these rulers, and yet had them, and they come under the punishment of the revenge that the quote-unquote good rulers uh, uh, wanted, and did what? Open the door for a even worse evil ruler, Hitler. So World War II and, and, and Hitler come in to uh, relieve uh, his people. Uh, for the most part, I've read where it took a wheelbarrow full of marks, German money, to buy a loaf of bread at one time. Uh, inflation was so bad as they were forced to try to pay for World War I, which they couldn't do. And so, again, it opened the door for Hitler, a worse ruler. And uh, through him, it revealed the hatred of the Jews. And through him also, because of that, it led to the reestablishing of the nation of Israel, where they didn't have their land for centuries and centuries. The United States, on the other hand, and we've talked about that, saw justice for the evil rulers after World War II, loved their enemies, went in and uh, rebuilt the countries, and they became our allies. Since then, however, and looking at today, both leaders and church leaders and rulers have compromised the truth and put us in the place we are today. But God has appointed rulers for his purposes. We generally, and we see it all through the past, we generally have rulers that we deserve. We deserve. We can and will experience the results of compromising truth 
but that he is only the only authority. We can rest in him. It relieves us of the turmoil of emotions when uh, we're living under the uh, result of evil uh, rulers. God's still in charge. He's still in authority. He knows what's going on. He's appointed authorities. Are we learning what we need to from the authorities, from the rulers in leadership? I don't like what I see or experience, but I know, God, you have a purpose. I know, Father, you have a purpose. So we see the believer in civil government, verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. All right, here again, that kind of grinds on us at times, but this is what Scripture says, and that's what God wants us to know and to believe. The authority resists the ordinance of God. Again, a commentator, the believer is responsible to the Lord God Almighty, who is universally supreme. Power in every domain derives from God, but it has been distorted and debased by some of its incumbents. The Christian is to live in the midst of this world, subject primarily to God, and he is to render to the civil government what might be called a management fee, a reasonable amount for the order and protection furnished by good government. The difficulties encountered in this chapter seem to arise from thoughts that are read into it rather than from what it actually teaches. Nothing here indicates what a believer should do when the civil government departs from the role that God has given it. A government should maintain law and order. This chapter contains no rules for the believer to follow in case the government persecutes the Christian faith. Another omission is counsel as to what should be the believer's attitude if his government commits moral wrong. The teaching concerning the believer's allegiance in case of civil war, revolution, or rebellion must be found elsewhere. It's not here. In Romans 13.1, Paul states that the believer's duty to government when it functions properly within the framework of law. No Christian is to be a law unto himself. No individual is exempt from the duties of citizenship. This teaching was especially important for the believers at Rome because the church there was formed around a central core of Jews whose Old Testament heritage gave them the idea that they were a law unto themselves. And they were unwilling to render allegiance to any Gentile. They looked down upon the Gentiles and considered themselves superior to the nations among whom they lived and by whom they had been conquered. History records many evidences of their lawlessness in the face of established government. So this is what's going on. It is a time of Paul. No one is above the laws we've seen. First Peter chapter two, verses eleven through fifteen. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For why? For the Lord's sake. 
whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may be put to silence, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. For the most part, at the time, Paul's writings, most of Paul's writings, most persecution of Christians came from Jewish leaders. We see that in Paul's writings. Persecution by Gentiles was occurring mainly in the provinces, and Rome was quiet. Paul was still free. Now, this is changing as in, in, in our, I mean, in the New Testament, but in the beginning. Paul and P Peter unite in telling believers, Gentile and Jew, to obey the magistrates. The powers that are ordained by God. No one is above the law. Paul had to explain that as they live out the grace of God, there will be no difficulty in a sense. Magistrates are not a terror to good citizens, only to evil ones. The Christian must realize that not only is he a new creature in Christ Jesus as a citizen of heaven, he is still a human being in a society of human beings, and he must shoulder the obligation of mass citizenship. The Christian is to integrate his life and activities with all human relationships. The believer is to understand the first and great commandment, he is to render to God the things that are God's, that he is to love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is also to render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's. That is, he is to love his neighbor as himself. That's all what it comes down to, isn't it? Okay, and it, it's interesting as we think of these things, you know, again, we have to put our, our, our selves in the light of what Scripture calls us, what it, it, it tells us. It tells us what? Our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we are what? Ambassadors. No ambassador goes into another country and disobeys its laws without... without uh, uh, suffering the consequences. We don't do that. We don't go into another. We, we you know, may help and persuade, and we can do that in our country here. Uh, we can vote, uh, but we don't do that. We have to go along with the laws of the land. And so, again, you know, we have to put our, our, our hearts in the right perspective. We are citizens of heaven. This is what our Father has said. And uh, we're ambassadors here, just ambassadors. We're to um, show the world what it looks like to believe and follow our Father. So we look at when to obey, when to obey. Our text is to be taken literally but has limitations, all right? And uh, we're thankful for that. Uh, as we look through history, Tsarist Russia, were hor the Tsars were horrible towards their pe people. So that opened the door to communist Russia, which seemed to be even worse, and probably was, than the Tsarist Russia. Hitler's Germany, same thing, evil, evil ruler. Uh, Americans under the king, we lived under a different rule. Uh, not anywhere near as bad, but uh, Americans decided they didn't want the king to be the ruler, 
And now we are under what? A constitution. A constitution. So different all along the way in different countries, different ways, but always to what? To be in obedience with the rule that they're, regardless of how evil they have become. Peter puts it this way, if a person suffers from evil rulers, 1 Peter 4 and verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And in 1 Peter 4, 19, therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Glorifying the Lord is always to be our goal. And um, I know of one story of a man under communism and going before his torturer. And he says, he told him, my paraphrase, of course, he said, you can do anything that you want to me to hurt me, but you can't make me not love you. Now, is that glorifying Jesus Christ or what? Yeah. But there are times for biblical disobedience. We are, first of all, to obey God and not human authorities in all matters concerning the truth. This is why we get in trouble, because we don't do this part. There's a man in the, in, on a program this week that had been singled out by our present govern, government and uh, put in jail, in prison, in solitary confinement, all for the purpose of lying about our former president, to get him to lie. You know what he said? He said, and I don't believe the man's a Christian, but I don't know that. He said that I will be okay as long as I tell the truth. They could never get him to lie. And that should be us too, shouldn't it? He knew that it'd be okay if he stuck to telling the truth alone. And that's what we need to do as well. Christ's apostles came up against this and were arrested for preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Acts chapter 4 and verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And they went right back to preaching about Jesus and the resurrection for their, and thrown into prison for their faithfulness. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. Again, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. 
the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They then got beaten (laughs) and set free. And daily, verse 42, in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as to Christ. These men, and later the Apostle Paul, preached the truth regardless of what it cost them, regardless of what the government said to them, to the point of even death for most all. And we know the Apostle Paul We, of course, are to do it decently and in order. We have to uh, recognize the circumstances, the context that we're in. Many have complained that their boss got mad at them for sharing the gospel with someone while they were on company time. So they were stealing while they were presenting the gospel. We don't put this in the proper light, do we? No, they were stealing from the company and then upset because the company got angry and said, no, you can't do that. Well, you didn't say you can't preach the gospel. They can't do it on company time. You're stealing. I've been put in this situation a number of times, especially uh, when I was a courier, and, uh, but other times as well. Uh, but I would... I filled out my own time card, and the time would come off my card. And there were times that I knew I had supposed to be somewhere on my route for a little while. Same thing, off the card it went. I, my boss didn't pay for my uh, evangelizing or ministry. <laughs> and sometimes that backfires on you. I worked for a wonderful Christian man one time. Uh, most of you know him. And... Uh, she was so excited about the Word of God that uh, we spent a lot of time at his kitchen table, and uh, I was sharing with him uh, the truth, what I had learned. And uh, sometimes I wouldn't be there for a week or two. I had other things I had to do, and then I go back, and we might spend a whole day. I'd never get my carpenter belt on because we'd be the whole day in the Word. Well, this was by his doing. But it didn't matter. That didn't go on my time card. I didn't, and I didn't have a time card. I just would tell him the hours. I would take the hours off of my time sharing with him. And, of course, he'd put it back on and then add a little bit more. <laughs> but that was his choice, not mine. <laughs> so, again, we have to be sensitive to where and why. Sometimes it isn't uh, the government, but ours that we're, the end doesn't justify the means with our Lord. There is Christian resistance. No government has the right to command a Christian to do an unchristian act. A pastor, Martin Niemöller, was in prison in Germany for teaching the truth. And a visiting pastor came to him and says, you know, if you acknowledge the government and not do some things and not say some things and respect what's going on, you won't be in jail. 
So why are you in jail? Pastor Niemöller's reply was, why aren't you in jail? Why aren't you in jail? By his silence, Niemöller's visitor was upholding a lie and was giving aid and comfort to the enemy of souls. When a malignant power takes control, a believer must stand uncompromisingly for righteousness. The believer under an atheistic government should never fail to proclaim Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And this is what we want to remember. This is when we're up against evil. They're fools. You may not want to call them that <laughs> because they said there's no God. There's no God. They may even use his name. They may even use Jesus Christ's name. But everything about what they're doing says there is no God. We Christians are to be law-abiding citizens, but if governments forbid our preaching the truth, we need to stick with the truth. If governments order us to do evil, we need to disobey. From what I understand, Canada's pastors are under this gun. There's a few chapters in Romans they're not allowed to preach. And, uh, yeah. So we're to do what is of God. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. Do what our Father called us to. Perfect love casts out all fear. Paul isn't saying every ruler will treat us right. Too many innocent people have been tortured and slain to prove otherwise. We have to go back to what we read and saw in the last chapter to live as much as possible that lies in us live peaceably with all men. So do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. We will have praise from many rulers, and we have praise from many others. But more importantly, we will have praise from our Father, which is the most important. Let us pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Uh, As humans, a lot of your word, or some of your word, sometimes your word, Uh, goes against the grain. But the more we know you and the more that we know and believe the truth, the more that we know that we need to do what you call us to. And we're to submit to the rulers, the rulers of our country, the rulers of our county. And uh, they're there because you placed them or allowed them to be there by your power, and they're there for a purpose. And, Father, again, how restful it is to know that, to believe that, to rest in that. Again, Father, thank you for who you are and all that you are to us. May me more and more know you, that we can uh, put our faith in, in you. Again, we pray for our family, our flock, uh, our brothers and sisters, and, uh, Father, your will for each of our lives. And we praise you in your wonderful name. Lord Jesus, amen.